Hey, Paige. Hi, Shana. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Welcome back to season two. <laughs> Those are the sound effects. Um, <laughs> sound effects. I I miss you and this, even though we work together. I miss having a space to chat about uh, things happening with the internet around the world. Exactly. This is, I mean, yeah, we work together, but this is a different kind of working together. And I like this. Me too. Um, we have a wonderful interview to share today with Dan York uh, from the Internet Society talking about LEO satellite networks, which is super fun. But before we get into that, I wanted to to address some hot topics. Is that okay? Yes, let's do it. What's on your mind? Okay, first one, CCing. And this is important because someone has asked me about the show of why we don't, why it's not CC and it's BCC, which I think is a funny question. Um, do you want to, do you want to answer that question? Do, why, wait, do I want to answer why I think it's BCC and not CC? Why are we calling the show BCC? Unless you not first. CC. Because, you because this is going to be the segue into the hot topic, which is about just CCing, because I get really confused about how, when and where to CC. But when also to remove people from CC? When it's relevant. Like, you just got to use the context. How do I know this, Paige? Okay. I, I did this today. I was on an email chain today where I was trying to figure out how much of something to do somewhere. I, I do things. And it got to the last part of the thing. And I just took everybody off and sent it to the one person it was relevant to and CC the one other person who it was relevant to. Everybody else gave their opinion at the beginning. Thank you. But now it's no longer relevant. We're going to do this thing. It's just you just use your powers of discernment. But that's not good enough. Do you know where CC comes from? Carbon copy? You know what the, yeah. The, do you know like, what that is? There, there used to be like, I guess like receipts and stuff. There was like a carbon copy on the back of the thing so you could get a copy of like your receipt paper, or like invoices and stuff like that. Right. So it's just receipts. So it's email receipts, basically. Receipts for email. But we have read receipts. Maybe not. Maybe that doesn't track. I don't, I don't know. I don't feel like people use it as email receipts though. I don't use it. As, I use BCC as an email receipt. Like, take look Okay, so BCC is... <laughs> <laughs> Which brings me back to why we're calling this podcast BCC, right? Because we're just letting you know. We're not asking you to take any action. We don't need you. To, we don't need you to do anything here. Just take. We a just look need to let you know at what's okay. happening over here. Yeah, I think it's CC is like okay. people involved. Because if I CC you, I'm probably tagging you in the emails. But like, hey, you need to do this, and you do that. That's why I'm CC. But do you know that in in Outlook, that if you tag someone in the email, it automatically adds them to the to line. Have you noticed that? It doesn't add them to CC. I move it down because I'm like, oh, oh you. Do. Oh, wow, you do. I'm, yeah. I'm like, who told y'all about that? Oh, Paige, that's interesting. Wait, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> <laughs> it's not wrong. I'm, this is why we're having the conversation because I get confused. I understand. I think I understand two and CC. Like two means I need you to actually respond yeah. to you something are, in this You email. are the person I'm sending the email to. Yeah. CC is just like a FYI for information, but also maybe you may want to chime in yeah, exactly. or you may have an opinion about something that's happening in this email. Yeah. And then a BCC is just like 
you don't need to respond and actually please don't respond because I don't I don't want them to know that you saw this. <laughs> please do not respond to any BCC that I've ever sent you ever. <laughs> what? This <laughs> I wonder, I should try that. I wonder if, if there's a, an outlook, if there's like a thing to say, like a flag to be like, you know, you're BCC'd on this, right? Like, don't, don't reply all. <laughs> that is anyway. Shady. Hot topics. Oh, so great. So great to, to chat with you again, Paige. Thank you. We love a hot topic. So the, the tip is send an email, CC folks, if you want, send it to them, but make sure when you BCC them, let them know not to reply all because then that's going to be a problem. Don't reply all. Never do that in any case, actually. Don't ever reply. That's that's also my other pet peeve. <laughs> it's a recipe for oh, disaster. Oh, no, that's my other pet peeve because the landlord in my building sends out emails and people will hit reply all. And the reply all will be something like, I need somebody to mop in front of my apartment. Why do I need to know this? Now this is in my okay, but But can I tell you about a really interesting reply all that, that I just experienced? So what I'm on similar to you. It's like a neighborhood listserv mm -hmm. and there is a new restaurant like in the neighborhood. And so the guy's like, hey, guys, there's a restaurant and someone reply all. I think she meant to just reply to him. But the reply all was like, hey, I wonder like um, if I can make a reservation for me, like my family of five plus Janet Jackson. <laughs> but <laughs> wait a minute now i'm about to make a reservation for that same day and time because if janet's gonna be there it I'm was like it was like how can we rent out the whole inside like because she has her manager has concerns can we rent out the whole restaurant for like two to three hours and it was like it's a family five plus janet jackson <laughs> so like that that slip up on the reply all i appreciate that i want to see that thank you that's hilarious. Okay. I hope Janet was able to eat in peace. I, mean, I don't know if she came. Maybe she did. Shout out to her. Shout Jane out Jackson. To Janet Jackson. We love you. We love we you, love Janet. You. We love you, Janet. Okay. Shall we get into this interview? Yes. Let us. Great. Uh, this is an interview that I did with Dan York, who is a project lead for the Elio Satellite Project at Internet Society, among other things. He has many titles. Uh, and he's just talking to me a little bit about what's going on up in space. So have a listen. Hi there, this is Shayna, and today I'm joined by Dan York, the project lead at ISOC for the Low Earth Orbiting Satellite Project. Uh, and we're here just to talk a little bit about the technology and to learn uh, from Dan about what's happening with these things that are floating up in space. Uh, so Dan, <laughs> if you yeah. wouldn't mind just saying hi, but also just starting with sort of explaining to us exactly what is happening in space and sure. what is a low earth orbiting satellite. Sure. Well, thanks. Well, it's great to be here and uh, great to talk about this. So if you think about it, you know, there's places you just can't go to bring traditional, uh, you know, internet connectivity. It's, it's difficult to run a fiber, you know, connection through a, through a jungle or through a place with no roads, or, you know, even here in the rural United States where I live, you know, it's hard to justify the cost of bringing a cable up a mountain to a remote cabin or something like that. Or, you know, there's islands that it's just difficult to get a submarine cable to. There's lots of different reasons why connectivity is hard. So for many years, decades, really, we've had uh, traditional satellite connectivity, 
They're from what are called geostationary or geosynchronous satellites that orbit about 36,000 kilometers above the Earth. They, they have a feature that they orbit at a way that they appear to be the same place over Earth all the time. So what, just the, what does that mean? What do you well, mean? Like it, when, if you look up in the sky, you can know that uh, there's a, you know, a satellite from a certain company at a specific spot and it will always be there because oh, it wow. orbits at okay. the same speed as the Earth in the same way, uh-huh. all okay. of that. So it looks like it's there. So these satellites actually, because of that feature, they're fairly simple to work with because you just take an antenna on the ground and you point an antenna and it, and it goes there, which is why, like, if you are, if you've ever noticed, if you see all those satellite dishes, like at a, like a news store, a news station or something like that, and you mm-hmm. see them pointed up in the earth, if you've noticed, or if our listeners notice, they, uh, if they are, if they're further South toward the equator, those dishes will be pointing up, like, like vertically up. Okay. And if you go up toward like the Northern, Northern Canada, you'll mm-hmm. see the dishes are almost like, like horizontal sometimes mm-hmm. because, because these, these, these satellites all are orbiting at the equator. They're all here. It's, but it's relatively simple. You point an antenna up there, boom, it's, it, you're set and you're going. You beam, a, you beam a signal. This reminds me of, um, do you remember this film contact? Do you yeah. remember that film? And they had those giant satellites and they were moving them and all that kind of stuff. But people this is the, okay. the geosynchronous or we just call them geos sometimes, you know, geo mm-hmm. orbits that are up there. And they, um, the nice part is with three of those, you can cover pretty much the entire earth, except maybe polar regions, wow. but you know, it's, and this has been, there's companies out there, Hughes, uh, Viasat, Inmarsat, Utilsat. I mean, there's so many different companies in the space that do this, but they, they have this challenge. You and I would not be able to have, we're recording this on a zoom call. We could mm-hmm. not have this call over a, uh, a traditional geostationary satellite because you know, the speed of light, it takes a long time. It takes 500 milliseconds or more 600 700 to get to a a satellite way out in 36,000 kilometers kilometers. yes it takes a long time it takes a long time there's a lot of lag in there and that's what we call latency in the business you know is that it takes a long time to do that generally within the voice of ip and video kind of space if you have more than 150 milliseconds you're not going to have a good connection you know the lag would be too much so these are at five six seven hundred you can't have the kind of video VoIP connections we have today. Online gaming, forget mm-hmm. it. You know, high frequency trading, uh, metaverse kind of things when people mm-hmm. talk about virtual worlds and stuff. Right. You don't have that kind of that, that quick connection. So this is where you wind up with uh, this whole new space of what are called low Earth orbit or LEO or LEO, depending on what you want to say. I call them LEOs, but whatever. Okay. Um, this because they're closer to the earth. They're maybe just 200 to maybe, you know, somewhere about 150 to 2000 kilometers, somewhere up in that space. Really? That close? That close. Okay. Now for comparison, the international space station is at about 400 kilometers. So it's, it's all up in that. And and this whole area is crowded. There's a lot of stuff up there. Like every satellite that we use, the astronauts, all the stuff that we do up there, that's all kind of in low earth orbit, which is a point we'll come back to in a bit as far as and a challenge. Do you, do you know what's officially space? Like how far up? Um, when do you I, actually enter space? Is oh, it, there's a couple of different definitions. Okay. I don't recall off the top of my head, but, okay. but generally this low earth orbit space is like about 150 to 2000. And many okay. of these companies are all around the 300 kilometers or so. But okay. the point is they're so much closer that you can get something down like maybe 40 milliseconds. You know, it's a, it's a much faster connection. You can do online gaming, you can do video calls, you can do all that kind of stuff. You can do all kind of pieces over there. The challenge, of course, is that because they're close to earth and they're orbiting, 
they, they keep on moving. You can't just have your antenna tracking one because it's, you need more. You okay. can't just have these like three satellites covering the whole right. earth. You have to have this whole constellation as we call it. So you're looking at thousands, even tens of thousands of satellites that are creating this whole mesh around the planet that, wow. that is there. And then you have to have the corresponding like antennas that can mm-hmm. track multiple satellites and be able to work with that. Because if you and I were on a zoom call over a, a Leo connection, while we were here, the satellites would have moved and gone out of range and the antenna would have to connect to a new one and oh, you know, wow. make sure the signal's going through there. And it would, it would, that would keep on going constantly. They're and they're rotating. just, they're seamlessly just moving it's and seamlessly moving and being handed off and, and handing off the signal. You don't even know all that. That's the really? magic that these wow. Leo companies are doing now. There was actually a big push to do this back in the 1990s. There were companies like a company called Teledesic and others, but the costs were just too expensive. Mm -hmm. What's happened now, we've got much cheaper materials. We've got much cheaper launches. You know, Mm -hmm. we can go and launch satellites for, uh, for rockets. You know, you see companies like SpaceX that are constantly launching and relaunching satellites and everything else. The cost to do that has dramatically reduced and the cost to create satellites. You know, companies like SpaceX, Amazon, others, they're creating these satellites almost on, you know, assembly lines. Basically, Hmm. they're they're mass producing the kind of satellites because they're launching like 50 of them at a time and these kind of things. Roughly, how big are they? They're about, well, okay. for comparison, a traditional Mm -hmm. geo satellite would be about the size of like a city bus. Okay, so fairly good sized. Mm-hmm. And would be um, and typically is built, you know, custom kind of handmade type of thing over a long period of time. The Leo satellites, many of them are like the size of a large car, you know, or really? something like that. Yeah. Some of them can be even smaller. Some of them can be larger. You know, there's a, a bunch of range of what you do. And there's trade offs with all of that. Right. That come into play. But they're much smaller. So, like, for instance, just this past week, we saw SpaceX doing some more launches and they're launching 50 of these at a time in one of their rockets. Wow. So, you know, the rocket goes up, 50 more Starlink satellites get get added into the mix up there. Okay. So, and maybe so it's a this whole is, different world. Yeah. I'm curious, what happens when something when a satellite stops working? Is it a way <laughs> that it comes back down? And maybe this is a, a silly question, but like if it's malfunctions or, you know, yep. I don't know what then what? Well, it's a it's a great question. This is one of the concerns, certainly, that we highlighted in our in our research and the work we did here at the Internet Society. But there's a whole realm around space debris, around how do you deorbit, as they say, deorbit. That's de-orbit, a good word. Yes, de-orbit. deorbit. Okay. <laughs> and whether you have a planned deorbit or an unplanned or other things like this, but the uh, the satellites again because they're in low Earth orbit. They, they actually are close to the earth that close enough that they'll fall, right? They'll fall out of the sky. They're, you know, they'll. What do you mean? What? They're going to well, fall? I mean, are they yeah, going to burn up in the atmosphere though, before they absolutely, come? In? Okay, absolutely. Good. Absolutely. Okay. But, so they're not going to fall in our house. Right. But I mean, but they're close enough that the gravity of the earth pulls them down. So they have to have propulsion to keep them up, right? To uh-huh. keep them up in there. Yes. Well, you can only, you know, it only works for so long. Mm-hmm. So typically all of these hundreds, thousands of satellites that these various different companies are launching generally have about a five-year lifespan. That's it. And then they fall. And then they fall. And then they deorbit. They, they yes. go into deorbit. They, they, they are, they have a controlled re-entry. Okay. Wow. Some of these things. And then they burn up in the upper atmosphere and stuff on this line. 
Now we can have a side question about like, <laughs> what are we doing to burning up all the stuff in the upper atmosphere? And ozone I don't want to think and, about it, Dan. You know, like, it's, it's making my goals, head hurt. No, those are real concerns. Right? Yes. But okay. Those are, those are things that, but this, you know, that's that, for future generations to worry about <laughs> the way we treat things kind of. Yes. But there are actually companies that are looking that are, there's a whole new industry around space okay. debris okay. Right? with companies that are being space. spun up to go clean up, you know, the, wow. the garbage men of mm-hmm. space to go in anyway. But, <laughs> but, but so, the, but so the satellites are up there, they're in this constellation, this mesh that okay. goes across things. And when you're a customer, you have your an, antenna or they, they have terminology, they call them a terminal unit and stuff like this, but you know, we think okay. of them as an antenna, an antenna dish. Sure. And you can put it on your house these days. You can um, with SpaceX, which is the company that um, we're, we should say a little bit about that. So we're talking about SpaceX because they're the one that's up there today, July, 2022 yes. and, and is commercially available. Okay. There are a bunch of others. Amazon is a, is planning a launch of about 3000 satellites starting later this year at the end of this year and going over the next couple of years, they have what it's called Amazon's project Kuiper. There's a company called OneWeb that was Mm -hmm. um, actually, it's right in the process right now of perhaps being acquired by Utilsat, a company in the France, but it comes out of Europe and the UK government and others that are there. There's uh, several companies out of China. There's a company out of India, a company out of Korea. There's companies all over the world that are looking at trying to provide their own, their own network. I, I think it's a very good question as to where, whether all of these will actually survive, but that's kind of a longer term question. But right now, when, when I can talk about it, the only one we can really talk about with any kind of experience is, uh, is SpaceX's Starlink because that's the only one that's up there. Yeah. But before we talk about them specifically, is there, I mean, this, this is a lot of companies. Is Mm -hmm. there a singular body that's sort of giving out permits to folks to say you can send this up into space like who's regulating that oh boy so this is a this is a complicated so the easy answer is nobody and somebody and everybody in some different ways so there isn't an so, easy answer but <laughs> let, let me come back Dan, so, Dan, this is this is this is very concerning to me okay. well yes so for the geostationary satellites the traditional yes. ones the international telecommunications union or itu mm-hmm allocates, regulates the, their actual location because there's only about 1800 slots around the, around the planet. Okay. And they do that for the Leos. What is, what is regulated is the spectrum, the, the, the uh-huh. amount, the radio frequencies that you, that the antennas use to communicate to the satellites and, and vice mm-hmm. versa and to the ground stations as well. They have to do that. And that is regulated in a curious form on a per country basis. So like SpaceX and Amazon, Mm-hmm. Um, go to the United States Federal Communications Commission, the FCC, okay. and they request spectrum allocations for their their satellite things. And, and they do that. And the FCC gives them spectrum and orbit heights okay. and things like this. OK, now you could also go to some other country. You could go to mm-hmm. Germany and mm-hmm. you could go and request spectrum allocation there and they would allocate it and they would do this. But um from what we've seen, it's really each company goes to the regulator in the con- in the country they are located. Hence, why SpaceX and Amazon are going to the U.S. FCC. But there are other countries that do it now. The, in theory, the regulators coordinate through the ITU. But what we're not entirely what's what's happening a little bit is there is a bit of shopping around to see where you could go and get allocations, and then there's a bit of um, there was for a while a bit of kind of it was, it was a first come first serve. 
So there were mm-hmm. a lot of people rushing to put in spectrum allocation re- requests because they could get them before other people. I uh, see. So there it's a speculative. They're speculating. Yeah, saying, there's some of that. And then, okay, now, are they going to lease it out? Or are they going to sell well, those things later on or what? The ITU, to their credit, you know, did some things here that said, okay, if you're going to get this allocation, you have to launch half of your satellites within a certain number of years. Okay. You know, or else you have to, you forfeit that and you it goes it back up. to, you know, somebody okay. else can get that. Thanks. Okay. But you are seeing in different, you know, going around to different people. There's somebody who put an application in Rwanda of all places to launch a Leo mm-hmm. constellation of a hundred thousand satellites. A hundred thousand. Okay. Yes. From yes. Rwanda. Well, the company is, you know, did it with the, uh, with the, they registered it with the regulator in Rwanda, and which really? then filed it with the ITU. Now, oh, they this might not, is very interesting. Oh, it's a it's a crazy world and all this stuff. As you start to open it up, you know, you mm-hmm. just keep digging deeper and you're like, wow, there's really interesting stuff going on here. I mean, a lot of this will be sorted out, I think, over the next two to three, four years as more of these systems launch. Mm-hmm. You know, I think once Amazon's Project Kuiper comes on and you start to see some competition with SpaceX, you'll you'll really start to see proving out the business models in part, you know, can these mm-hmm. be sustained? Are there, you know, can we get it to be affordable right now? One challenge is that it, it uh, it's not really affordable for perhaps the people who need it most, right. you know, it's around $110 a month. Um, it's and, and SpaceX has at, so far been kind of universal in their pricing. Okay. And about $700 for the equipment that you get in the, you know, to start out. So it's, it's not cheap, okay. but, but for some people, you know, it's, you know, life-changing connectivity. Because right. it, it really is, you know, you can drop it, you can bring a dish into an area um, and be able to get connectivity and at high speed connectivity in ways that you just simply couldn't before. Right. You know, another aspect that's, that changes things, too, is that for each country in the world, the LEO provider must go to that regulator and get approval to use Spectrum in their country. Mm. So. So SpaceX. just because I have a, a satellite, if the government, if my government hasn't said, yes, you may broadcast a signal or whatever they're exactly. doing. Exactly. When I started I this it. project, when I, mm-hmm. when I started being involved with this project, I had this somewhat naive picture that, you know, if you want to get around internet, you know, blocks, blocks or censorship in say mm-hmm. uh, Sudan, you mm-hmm. could, you know, bring a dish in on a camel or something. I and see. Go okay. in there and, and start using it. I thought, Oh, Hey, this is a great way. We right. can bring this access to everywhere. And then I, but it doesn't work that way. Okay. So there is a layer of regulation at oh, least per country. And yes. then the ITU is sort of coordinating. It is information from each individual country, which okay. actually brings us to an interesting policy issue because every government you know, you can't operate in that country unless you get the government permission. Mm -hmm. And some governments are imposing conditions around, you know, if you're going to use this, then you need to only connect to the ground station in our country where we can then impose our own blocking and control and things like that. So, you know, you sit here as an advocate for the open internet and you say, huh, (laughs) these things could be really good, (laughs) but on the same token, they could bring about a splinter net in the forms of, you know, separate government controlled internet access, wherever. So lots of Um, stuff to see. So many things. Last question. How do you see this um, sustaining? Do we, do we think that this way of connecting is sort of what's going to be standard moving forward? And is everyone going to have a satellite dish on their house now? Is that, is that what everyone's going to be doing? Are we still, how does this compare to to broadband and, and our other traditional ways of connecting? 
Yeah. So actually it could be on our house, on our car, on our vehicle, on our, it could even, some people are aiming to have it that it could go to your phone, you know, and it's really? the end game, which is why some of the mobile providers are pushing back on some of this because they could see a space where, you know, so anyway, there's, I, a, would, there's a, I would buy that today. If well, it was on my phone. Right. Right. <laughs> Some of us would, you know, it's like, hello. But, I would, I'm over SIM cards. I'm just yeah. like, it just drives me nuts. Okay, but, but, anyway. Right. So this is the thing, right? You're getting to that point of truly ubiquitous computing in, or mm-hmm. connectivity in different ways. The challenge again I, will be to see how these next two to four years are really going to prove out how does this work, right? Because, mm-hmm. and, and what, how does it really work compared to terrestrial communication? Because right now, certainly a fiber connection to your home mm-hmm. is going to give you way better latency and throughput than any of the Leo connections even promise right now. So right. Your, your best connection is still going to be that fiber to the home or okay. something on that line. You okay. know, that's going to be the fastest, the biggest pipe, all of that kind of stuff. But in areas where that's not possible, you know, these systems may provide that. But until we really get a sense of how well did they work up there, how, you know, what's the resiliency? We don't know. We haven't seen like what happens when there's a major solar storm, for instance, that knocks out a bunch of these satellites. You know, how how resilient or not are these mm-hmm. different kinds of things? It's a it's a it's a crazy space. Um, I hope your listeners will think about, you know, look at some of the research that's out there. We have a document on our perspectives. We have some other stuff that we encourage people to ask these questions, get informed because in so many ways, it's a really remarkable way of connecting people that can solve and bring connectivity so many places where it can. But we also just have to be conscious of the trade-offs that we may may need to be making in order to get there. And um, yeah, there's a lot, a lot of questions that need to be asked. Well, thank you so much, Dan. This has been really informative. And I appreciate so much the conversation. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks. That was a really good interview. And I think the one thing I appreciate from it was the distinction between the types of satellites. Because I think going into it, I hadn't, I, I've heard, I've heard LEO, but I didn't know the distinction, you know, making the distinction between the larger ones that are a bit more governed by like the ITU and then the the actual Leo satellites. The one thing that struck me was like how they get rid of them or don't actually like that was that was really interesting to me. Like they just fall out of the sky. Okay, and and you realize so this is really funny because you know Dan and I were talking about this and I was like right so everything's we're expecting everything's gonna burn up in the atmosphere which okay but turns out it doesn't all the time because some things just landed in australia that like it was like from a piece of a piece of satellite that actually made it through and is sticking in the ground i mean it looks like if that were to fall on someone that would absolutely kill them so i don't know it also kind of reminded me of nope you know when all the change and stuff is like falling out of the sky have you seen that movie i haven't seen it yet oh okay let me but tell you but I will. I will it's, see it. It's giving nope is nope. what it's giving. I mean, even and even just like, oh, they're going to burn up. So even if they don't get to that point, like, are they going to burn up? Like energy cannot be created or destroyed. Like, where is that gas that's being produced going? Mm-hmm. Like, how does that affect our atmosphere? Mm-hmm. And then I just began to think more broadly about like what, you know, like what else is out there? And I urge everyone to Google LEO satellite mesh or like 
LEO satellite diagram, like it looks like there's a mesh around the earth of like mm-hmm. all of these things covering like every possible square footage with like the exception of like, I guess the North and the South Pole not having as many as like the rest of mm-hmm. the earth. But like, if all of that just burns up, like where does that gas go? Yeah, I don't know. I'm, you know, I would imagine that there are lots of implications for our atmosphere and for all of the gases that protect us from all the harmful things of the sun. That it's probably important that we maintain. And I don't, I don't know. And I think there are big questions about that, especially when you're thinking about people are talking about we're going to send hundreds of thousands of these up there. It's like, yeah. I'm sorry, what? Exactly. Like it's, you know, like from, from what you was explaining, just like in terms of like how it provides connectivity to remote regions. So like, you know, like a jungle, rural, remote, like folks who are in those places that like can't necessarily get cable wire, like obviously that's a really good choice for these people. But then you look at like, you know, the, the regulation behind it, where to me, it sounded that it was regulated ish. Like that's, that's how it sounded to me. Kind of like it is but kind of, and then, you know, these large companies that have, have stakes, have stakes in them as well. And I guess my, my big concern is like just the impact on our environment because all of those things are in an orbit. And like, do we even understand enough about space to be throwing all that stuff in there on top of what I recently found out, there's like a, you know, like just junk orbiting the earth, like just debris Mm -hmm. and stuff out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think the the opportunity and what this sort of network can provide is immense. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, if you look at the implications of actually running fiber optic cables or just running cables like that, those have environmental impacts as well. So, you know, what's the cost benefit analysis of that and how do they compare? Um, How does that type of network or that type of connectivity connectivity compared to traditional networks and traditional networking? I don't know. Uh, I think that's a really good question. I think we're probably still learning that. Um, I think I just, you know, I really focus on on the opportunity and I know that there's challenges and issues and and things that we have to sort out, which I kind of jokingly was saying to, to Dan, like, oh, that's for future generations to solve that problem. Uh, we don't have to solve that today. It, it was a joke, we do. But I, I do think the opportunities that, that those kinds of networks provide um, are really amazing and really can sort of leapfrog us into some other things. Whether or not we want to leapfrog, maybe we don't want that kind of technology just yet. Maybe we're, we're still deciding about that. But I think it's a, a really cool thing that's I happening. I mean, we decided. They're up there and they're floating. And Somebody they're decided. I don't know that I decided. Somebody decided. You know what I mean? You're right. Somebody decided. But no, yeah, you talk about folks in you know, jungles and remote areas in the rural areas who are often some of the, the poorest people because, you know, in most countries, a lot of resources are being diverted to, you know, urban urban life. So like to have those folks connected to the internet. And I think for lots of people, they think about connected to the internet, like, okay, like, okay, you have internet, but like that, that's knowledge and like skills and resources and community. Like there's so many things that the internet can bring to, to these, you know, to people all across the world. Like, you know, people can start documenting languages that are dying and like documenting skills that have never previously been done. Doc- like we can build an archive of human civilization in, in digital form um, and have 
firsthand sources, right? So instead of somebody talking about a civilization of people in in the Amazon, like these folks can jump on Zoom or they can, you know, jump on YouTube and like document their entire experiences. So I think a lot of people might hear internet and they're like, okay, so now I'll keep on Facebook. And it's like, no, it's it's so much bigger than just access to social media. It's jobs and education and community and all of these other things as well. Yeah. Um, what do you think? Are there some some risks that you think about? Because I, I think about that and I agree. Um, but are there also, are there risks to, to everybody being able to connect? I beyond think, the environmental risks, I know, right? Because it takes energy to power the internet beyond, and that's the thing. I'd say beyond the environmental risks, there are dozens of risks that I can think of. And that's probably because I've seen too many episodes of Black Mirror, right? So like I, they, they've given me the doomsday scenarios. I don't have to have the creativity to be like, oh, how will people misuse technology? Like they've shown me what can happen when people misuse misuse technology. And I think that like with with anything that we've created as human beings, like there are lots of opportunities for misuse, but I think getting ahead of that, you know, is is probably mm-hmm. best. Just getting ahead of it. Like, okay, if we know that these things can How do we get ahead of it? Them, that's a wonderful question for the people who study the internet. <laughs> and, and guess what? We have a we have a grant program that does just that. Exactly. If you study the internet, go on over to our website and and, and look those stuff up. We want to we want to know what you're studying, and if it's super cool and interesting, we'll probably be into it as well. Definitely. No, yeah, I think like anything, there are pluses and minuses, but I think as of now, I'm concentrating on the the benefits of the exposure that it's going to bring to the the different groups and individuals and communities. And I think that's priceless. Well, I'm saying that now. We'll see. (laughs) Let's see. We'll see. I don't know. Maybe there's satellite. Maybe maybe we're making the hole in the ozone layer a bit bigger with sending these things up there. I don't know. Um, But we'll see. We'll see. Thanks so much. This is season two of the BCC podcast. Where we copy you in on internet stories from around the world. BCC is supported by the Internet Society Foundation. Mm-hmm.